And another reminder that Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. It gives you everything you need in one place, and it's free. You can use it right from your phone or your computer. They have creation tools, so you can record and edit your podcast so it sounds great. And they'll distribute your podcast for free. So you can hear it on Spotify, Apple, Google, and many more. Just like us here at BraveMaker. Make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So download the Anchor app today and go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks to our sponsors. Now back to the show. Stories, scripts, and conversations with creators. This is the Brave Maker Podcast. Hey, thanks so much for... uh, jumping on with me i appreciate it of course of course i love the the background you got the whole brave maker banner set up and everything i love it it's all you know what (laughs) we're just we're with with little means we have like scrape up enough money and stuff to get a little banner and then the next thing we got like okay we got some podcast things all right we paid someone to do some voiceover you know for the beginning it's like little by little just trying to develop something and then okay, I love it. You know? Yeah, thank you. I love it. Thank you. I love it. Right on. So happy for you. Thank you. <laughs> Same. So so let's just jump right in. And uh, okay. it's totally conversational. We can even like catch up a little bit because I, I want to hear okay. what's going on. But I'll just jump in. Yeah. So Avril Speaks is on the Brave Maker podcast. And Avril and I go back to 2013. I believe, which was my very first Sundance. Yeah. That's when I met you. <laughs> Mine too. Yeah. It was my first one too. <laughs> and nothing compares to my very first Sundance because of all the people we hung out with. Seriously, it was so I know. Good. We had a great time. We had a great time. That was a that was a special trip. Yeah, special we had a great trip. time. So Avril went yeah. with, I think you went with Fuller at the time. You were in a class too, right? Yep. Yeah, I was in the. Um, I don't. I can't even remember the name of the class now. But yeah, it was. It was part of a class at Fuller, that uh, you know, me and a couple of folks. And then because you were part of Fuller too, but you were Northwest, right? Yeah, I was up here in Northern or, California, no. and I had just. I think I had just graduated actually, so I was sort of quote unquote auditing just to be able to go. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> But, yeah, but I remember we all kind of coalesced into some church building to have a panel discussion of some sort, and we were put in groups, and it was Avril and Angela and Jonathan and Andrew and all these other people that Christian or Christian, and we just uh, hung out at a table, and then it ended up being we started going to movies together, and we were seeing midnight shows and laughing and kind of. <laughs> poking at everything from production design to story, but also being super inspired. So it's cool. It's cool to be connected. But Andrew, Andrew and Jonathan weren't there that same year, though. They, they were the year after. Oh. No. It was just Angela and uh, Christian and Victoria. Remember Victoria and... Um, oh, yeah, yeah, Chris, yeah, 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 yeah. Christina. Christina, that's right. Christina. Yeah, but yeah, you yeah, guys yeah. were all friends. <laughs> you guys were all friends though, because yeah. they, they went the following year and you didn't. You connected me up with them. That's right. Okay, yes. that's yeah. right. Yeah. 
Oh, how fun. Yeah, Andrew, um, Andrew and I were in the same class. Like we were we started Fuller at the same time. He just didn't go to Sundance that year. But uh Andrew was my first friend at Fuller. I always tell <laughs> I always tell that story of me and Andrew because like we were the only Brem students in the room when we had orientation and we were I was just, I went up to him and was like, You're gonna be my friend. <laughs> <laughs> It just shows like sometimes you got to be that. You got to do that. You got to find someone in a room and just go, hey, we're going to connect up. And then boom, you have a lifelong friendship. Exactly. Especially when you realize that you connect over the same things. Like I said, we we were in an orientation together and they said all the Brem students who were like, you know, art students or whatever, stand up. And we were the only two that stood up. I was like, okay, we're going to hang out. (laughs) I love it. So, So, so Andrew Neal, we'll have to shout him out. He's he's doing like distribution stuff right now. I mean, he's traveling like to Cannes, and he's, he does like yeah. a lot of cool stuff in the film world. Yeah, yeah, he's doing sales. He's uh, working. He's a sales agent, and he's working for sales agent. A, a, a sales agency. He's a sales agent. He's he's in sales. That's so <laughs> that's so cool. We'll have to get him yeah. on and, and just hear. But this is about you, April yep. Speaks. All right, so. So when I when I met you, you had already done some film work. You had already uh, directed things, and you were actually jumping into teaching. And you had worked in Atlanta and in LA. And so let's just jump right in and share this whole Brave Maker story. How did you get into it for you? Yeah, yeah. Oh man, it's it's quite a story. I'm glad we've got time. <laughs> we got it. We got an hour. Go for it. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, like you said, when by the time I got to LA um, to go to Fuller, I was I I was already probably maybe like fifteen years deep into filmmaking at that point. Um, I um, started out as a director, <clears throat> and so um, I I kind of realized the whole film film thing uh, kind of late in life. It wasn't until my junior year of college that I realized that I wanted to be a filmmaker. Um, and that's a whole other story of how I came to that discovery. But, um, once I made that decision, I kind of just didn't know what to do from there. And I, and, you know, I had a professor that was just like, well, if you go to, if you go get a get your MFA, you can always teach. And so I thought, well, that sounds that sounds cool, you know, to have that kind of as a as a an, another thing I can also do. And so I went to grad school um, uh, to the to Columbia in their film department as uh, a film directing concentration. And so I that was my focus was directing. And so I took all the directing classes. And um, by the time I graduated from Columbia. I had done two features. So I had, I had met a guy down in Philly who was looking for somebody to direct a project that he was working on. And then, um, and then I, you know, decided I wanted to do a project of my own. And so I pulled the resources together. I always say I did Kickstarter before there was a Kickstarter because <laughs> <laughs> I literally was, you know, writing people letters and just saying like, Hey, can yep. you, you know, give me $15 to make a movie and I'll give you a, you know, a, a credits, you know, a shout out in the credits or yeah. whatever. Um, and so I, so I raised the money that way for, um, for my feature and I did that. And then, you know, I kind of kicked around New York and New Jersey for a while, like New York, New Jersey, Philly, just freelancing. And so I was directing, I was producing, I was writing, I was, 
I was DP, like I was shooting stuff. Mm-hmm. I was editing stuff. I was doing a little bit of everything. And I just got really burnt out um, trying to do the whole freelance thing. And um, so I I ended up moving to Atlanta and Atlanta seemed like a good place for me to go because they had a nice kind of, um, you know, this was before the big like production boom happened in Atlanta because now there's a lot of TV shows yeah. and movies that are shooting there. It's, this is before that. Yeah. Um, so this is probably like early 2000s that I, that I went down there and I, and I was like, wow, you know, I, I wouldn't have thought it at the time, but you know, even then Atlanta had a pretty strong, you know, indie film community that was pretty tight knit and um, connected. And so I moved there. I got involved in the indie film scene there. And then I also got hired for my first teaching job. And so um, I was teaching in the film department at a couple of different universities and uh, was really loving it. I, I, you know, for me, teaching was, was a, a, a great compromise or a great um, sort of uh, launching point for me because I was able to, especially having come from the freelance world, I was like, okay, I have something that's stable. And it's also, it's in my field because the expectation was that you're going to be making work and you're going to be, you know, kind of being an example to these students. Um, and, you know, they would send us to conferences and, you know, film symposiums and things like that. And it was like, oh, this is great. So now I can go, you know, and, you know, they would pay for it and I would still get, you know, kind of the credit for it in the academic world, but it was also benefiting me, um, you know, artistically. So it was great. Um, and then I, you know, I did that for maybe about five years. Um, like I said, it was just kind of going back and forth between teaching and, um, making films on, on my own, but, you know, it gets rough when you're, when you're kind of a, a, a one, one woman show trying to do everything and put projects together. And it was, you know, it starts to get longer. And even though, you know, teaching is great in terms of the schedule, cause you know, that's always the thing, right? It's like, I can work throughout the year and then in the summer I can make movies. And like, sometimes that works out and sometimes it doesn't just because sometimes the film is not ready to go in the summer, you know? Um, but you know, I was, I was balancing it out, but I was realizing, you know, it was, it was kind of a, a long stretch in between project or longer than I wanted it to be in between projects. And so, um, I got an offer to teach at Howard university in Washington, DC. So that brought me, you know, I went to undergrad in the Washington DC area. So I thought, Oh, this is a great opportunity to, you know, go back to the old stomping ground and, you know, go teach at a, you know, a prestigious university and I'd still be teaching film and maybe I can get tenure and this and that. And so I packed up and moved to DC. And literally as soon as I got, as soon as I got off the freeway in DC, I was like, Oh, what have I done? (laughs) (laughs) Just because of the environment, just because of the city or what? The environment. Yeah. I think when I moved to Atlanta, you know, Atlanta is a lot more, um, it's a, what I loved about Atlanta, especially having moved there from, you know, New York and New Jersey is that Atlanta is a, it's a slower pace, but it's not a dead town. You know what I'm saying? Like there's tough stuff. I I always say Atlanta is the place where you can get stuff done Mm. and, you know, you can be on your grind. But at the end of the day, you can go sit on the patio and drink your sweet tea, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so there's like a nice kind of balance there in terms of quality of life. And so when I got to D.C., it was, it was it's not quite as, you know, um, you know, hustle and bustle as New York, but it still has, you know, a similar energy 
And so I felt it as soon as I got off the highway. I was just like, oh, uh, no, I'm back in this thing again. Like, oh, I can't take it. Why are the houses so close together? <laughs> There's so many people. There's so many cars. Even though Atlanta traffic is really bad. But, yeah, it was just, you know, kind of a little bit of a uh, of a culture shock. I, you know, and then realizing, too, that when I lived in DC before I was like, what, 19 years old, you know, as an undergrad, um, you know, I went to university of Maryland college park. And, um, I took my film classes at Howard when I was in undergrad that, that junior and senior year of college. And so I had this impression that it was going to be just like it was when I left. And it's like, you come back, it's like, what, 10 years later, 10, 15 years later. And it's like, no, you're an adult now. (laughs) And you know, you, it's like, you can make it be, something, but it's not going to be exactly the way it was when you were here before. So, um, so that first year was terrible. I was just like, Oh, I hate it here so bad. And, you know, um, I just didn't adjust well. And so after that first year, I really started thinking about like, you know, what am I, what am I doing? What am I doing with my career? Um, where are things going? Um, it's been a minute since I've made a film, Um, you know, it had been a while since my feature had come out. Um, I did, I had done a a short while I was in Atlanta. Um, I did another short while I was in DC and I just started really asking myself some really tough questions, uh, about life and, you know, what I wanted to be doing and where I wanted to go. And I, I think I kind of hit this point where I just really started to question whether film was it for me. I was like, I don't know if this is it. I don't know. This might not... (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> this might not be working out. And um and I really I love teaching. And um I thought, you know, there's something that I really do like, which is teaching. Maybe I should just put my weight into teaching. And you know, I'm teaching film. Like I still love film. I just yeah. don't know if making movies is the move for me. And I thought, you know, maybe I should put more weight into the academic side of things um and just think it through. And so I had actually um you know, years ago when I, you know, when I was living in Atlanta, I had gotten an idea about going to seminary just for my own, mainly for my own knowledge. Like I was just, you know, asking myself certain questions and things and thought about it. And, um, I had found this program at Fuller that had, you know, a theology and film track. And I thought, oh, that would be perfect because there's no PhD. You know, I had already, I already had an MFA at that point. And so I was looking to get a PhD. And so I was like, well, the only thing that I would want to study, you know, other than film, um, for that length of time in terms of getting a PhD would be studying religion or, you know, theology. And I was like, Oh, this place is the fuller. They have a theology and film program. Like, like how perfect is that? Um, uh, but at the time when I reached out to them, um, you know, they said, you'll have to get another master's degree because your master's is in film. It's in production. It's not in theology. So you have to get another master's. And I was like, uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not doing that. So I took that brochure and I folded it up and put it in the drawer. It was like, I am not doing that. I am not feeling that at all. And so <laughs> once I got to DC and like I said, when I started thinking again about like, you know, what is my path and what am I doing? Um, I started thinking, you know, maybe I should go full force into this academic thing. Maybe I should reconsider getting a PhD. And so I went back to that folder and, you know, pulled out that fuller, uh, that fuller, um, brochure. 
And so I started thinking about it and I said, you know, maybe this is something I should, I should look into. And I'll never forget, you know, because, and the, the other thing that you should know is that I was very like anti LA. Like mm. <laughs> I, I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say the way you, you responded to Washington DC too, like that would, that's very antithetical to, right? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. I was so like, I grew up on the East coast and even when I decided to be a filmmaker, like literally when that teacher told me like, you can either, you know, it was like you, when I graduated from undergrad, it was like, you have these options. You could go to LA and just like grind it out. You could go to film school and get an MFA and be, so you can teach like my teacher said. Um, and you know, in my mind, I was like, I don't have any interest in LA. I was like, I am a New York filmmaker. <laughs> I am East Coast all the way. Like I was really adamant. Like I don't want anything to do with LA. Then it's <laughs> just like, you know, and even, you know, when I think about like the films that I love the most and all of that, they're all indie films and they're like, you know, people who have, you know, grinded it out. So I was just very like, ugh, I snubbed my nose at, sure. <laughs> at Hollywood. You didn't want the studio uh, system. You didn't want to be a part of I that. I didn't want the yeah. studio system. Yeah. I didn't want to be a part of it. And um, so that was part of the reason why I decided to go to grad school in New York and blah, blah, blah. So anyways, you fast forward to, you know, I'm here at my first year teaching in DC and um, I pull out this, brochure of Fuller. And so I'm like, oh, well, it's in California. Uh, okay. Well, uh. <laughs> so I called them up and I, you know, booked a, um, actually, no, I had a friend who lived in LA who was doing like a promo video for her book. And she called me one day and said, I'm going to do this promo video and I want you to direct it. She's like, I'll fly you out nice. and, uh, Love stuff you like know, that. come out and do this thing. Right. And so I was like, I was like, all right, cool. So she books me on a flight. I get on a flight to LA. I tell you, literally, <laughs> I got off the plane. And I rem- I remember the plane landing and being like, huh, yeah, I could do this. Okay. I remember having that thought. And wow. left the airport. I hadn't even left the airport. And wow. I remember standing at baggage claim like, huh, yeah, yeah, this is all right. It was the weirdest thing. That's I was cool. like, this had to have been God because I was, sure. there was no way I would have had that reaction <laughs> sure. before then. Um, and so I went and we did the shoot and I remember us being on set and, you know, people would be like, Oh, well, how do you like LA? And I, I would tell people, I was like, Oh, I love it. I'm going to move here in a year. I didn't know what I was talking about. Like, what are you talking about? I had no plan, no nothing. Like I did, I, I literally had just gotten on a, off a plane <laughs> and came to her house. And so, um, I, so yeah, I, so while I was out there after finished the shoot, I booked a, 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 um, a tour of Fuller and I went to the tour. I sat in on some classes and I was like, this is it. And I literally went back to DC and started putting plans together. I applied, I, you know, started looking into housing and within a year I was packing my car (laughs) And ready to make so the cross country cool. drive. So it was, it was really, um, just kind of crazy. And so I moved out here, I started going to Fuller. And when I started at Fuller, I, I honestly kind of went into the Fuller experience like, okay, I'm going to get a PhD and I'm just going to focus on this. And, um, I don't know what's going to happen with the whole film thing. 
my first year at Fuller was, it was really all about letting go of the idea of being a filmmaker, to be honest with you. Like I, I remember meeting with my mentor once and she said to me, you know, and then, you know, I went on this whole rant, like, I don't want to do Hollywood. You know, I don't know if I want to make movies anymore. And she's, and she, I remember her saying to me, okay, let's just take that. Let's put that right here. Like, let's just put that over here. Mm-hmm. You're here for these two years in the, in the, you know, the master's pro. Cause I, you know, I had to kind of bite the bullet and do the, do the second master's. She said, let's put that, let's put all of that over here. You have these two years for this master's program. <coughs> Let's put that there and just take this experience for what it was, for what it is. And that's what I did. So for two years, I studied theology. And, you know, we talked about film within that, but I just kind of went and dove in to the theology side. Fast forward two years later, um, you know, we had to do a thesis project and we could do whatever we wanted to do. And I felt the urge. I felt the bug of filmmaking was still there. Yeah. And I said, you know, I think I still have some stories within me. I think I still want to tell. Um, and so I just I did a web series. And man, when I got on that set, I was just like, <laughs> this is it. This is it. I can't I can't I can't turn it away just yet. And so I opted to not do the PhD program and I opted to jump back into um, producing, which I mean, well, actually, no, I, I jumped into direct into filmmaking, into directing. And then the producing came about. <laughs> That's a whole nother leap of faith conversation. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it was it was funny because I I. So I, you know, after that second year and I did my thesis and I'm like, yeah, like, let me just do this thing. So and was your thesis I was still about te- like theology and film in some way? No, that? it wasn't. No, I, my thesis was about four sisters who were um, dealing with an aging parent and, um, and it was, you know, they're kind of dealing with these life issues oh, amongst your, their your family. Web ser- your web series was the thesis. Yeah, yeah, oh, that was my. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, I remember that because you crowdfunded for that and everything. I remember that. Okay, I did, I did, I did. and so, um, yeah. So, uh, so like I said, it, it it wasn't. It was just more kind of something that was on my heart to do, yeah. and that just had more to do with life. And um, I had lost my grandmother at the time, so it was just it was kind of all of these things feeding into these ideas about family and yeah. um, you know what that means, and so. Um, just, so I just, did that. Just to back up for a second, yeah. I think it's really cool yes, to, sure. to note that. So it's such a rarity in my mind to find people who are trying to merge, you know, storytelling, filmmaking, creativity with theology. Although I, we both could argue to the end of the day that every story is theological, right? We know that. Yeah. And so I yeah. love <laughs> that you found a program that was really specific to that, that started to feed who you were as a person, as a theologian, as a creative, as a director. And then you go, I mean, how cool, huge props to Fuller that that was actually allowed to do a web series <laughs> as a thesis. I like, know. That is amazing. I know. I know. Yeah, it was really great. And I, I mean, for me, it it was a perfect thing because, you know, Fuller was really great when I was there because they 
they so embraced the arts and, yep. you know, they would often say like you would, you know, in certain classes, the professors would say, oh, like for your final paper, like, you, you know, you can do a paper or you can do an art project or whatever. And I had, you know, some, I knew some people who were like, I'm going to make a film from, you know, and I was always just like, I don't want to do that. Like I, I really kind of distanced myself from it for those two years and was like, I don't want to make a movie about Colossians. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I don't know. It was like, I want to write the paper. I want to do the thing. And, but, but by the end of those two years, I was like, yeah, I think it's time. Like I, like I want to make something now. Um, but yeah, I, I, Fuller was really, was really good in that sense to have that space to be able to do that. So it was really cool. So cool. I love that. And so, okay. So you do the sisters web series and I remember that. I think what year was that? That was like after we had met, I believe like 2014. Yeah. Okay. So you do, Uh you do the web series sisters and then that mm-hmm. launches you into so you're directing that, but then that launches you into a whole new space of well, what's, what's funny is sisters sisters didn't launch that. What happened was, um, you know, well, it did to some degree. I did sisters, and um, I was still teaching. So I, when I moved to California, I was teaching part time at APU and another university, University of Laverne. Um, and so I was going to school and I was an adjunct professor. And so I was, you know, traveling back and forth between these different colleges. And, um, I, you know, I, you know, again, here I go trying to plan my life. Like, I'm like, okay, I'm going to finish this program. And then I'm going to, I would, in my mind, I would, even though I had gotten that bug to, you know, to, to, to direct again, in my mind, I was going to go back to being a full-time professor. So I started pursuing full-time jobs with, you know, those two colleges that where I was teaching. And I went through the interview phase, got all the way to the very last phase of the interview, like did the teaching demonstration, met with the provost, everything, all of that. And we got down to the last bit. And I, I was so banking on that. Like, I mean, people were telling me, oh, like you're a shoe in Yeah, they love you. Like my, my, my re- recommendations were calling uh, me saying like, oh yeah, they called us. They love you. Uh, you know, you're a shoe in It's going to happen. Da, da, da. And I, I literally, this is part of this story. Cause I had like in my living room, I had all these student projects that I had included, uh, you know, accumulated over the two years. And so I had in the, like all over my living room and like on the desk and everything were like student projects. Cause I was like, Oh yeah, I'm going to get this job. And when I get my office, I'm going to put all these projects in my office. So my house was a mess because mm. I had all these papers and stuff. Mm. And I got the call and they said, we decided to go with someone else. Uh, and it was the biggest punch in the gut. Like uh, I was just like, what do you, mean you went with someone else. Like you told me I was a shoe in for this job. And I felt really like the rug got pulled from under me because I really thought I was going back into full-time teaching like I was when I was on the East Coast. And um, I, you know, and it was weird too because I I didn't, I was, I was really, I was angry because <laughs> I was like, man, I really like teaching, but, you know, and I, but I remember getting in the car and, and driving around and was just like, you know what? You're in LA. Mm. What else can you do? Mm. You know? So you're not gonna teach. Or, I, Cause I was like, I can't do this whole adjunct thing anymore. It's, it's just like not enough pay and I'm traveling back and forth, but it's just a lot. So I was like, you know what? 
I am in LA. I'm going to try my hand at going back into production. Why not? You're in LA. And I remember coming home and I, I saw this, um, there was a video, you know, people post videos online and like they go viral and stuff. And somebody had sent me this video on Facebook and it was of Steve Harvey (laughs) of all people. And it was Steve Harvey. And he was telling this story about how, um, he was like, um, he said, he kept telling his mother, he's like, he's like, mom, I'm gonna get a new car. And she was like, okay. She was like, okay, but your old car's on blocks outside. And he was like, uh, okay, okay. He was like, okay, but mama, I'm going to get a new car. And she was like, okay, but your old car's still on blocks outside. And every single time he would come to her and be like, I'm going to get a new car. She'd be like, but your old car is still on blocks outside. And he was like, what are you talking about? So finally he was like, just like, mom, what are you talking about? Why do you keep saying that every time I tell you I'm getting a new car? And she said, your old car is literally <laughs> in the driveway on cinder blocks. How you figure you're going to get a new car, where you going to put it? Because you, your old car is still on cinder blocks outside. Huh. And he was like, then it dawned on me what she was saying is that I had to get rid of this old stuff. And, you know, if I, I can't, like, bring in something new if I'm, like, still holding on to old things. Yeah. And I thought, wow, that's that's an interesting concept. And I was like, well, I ain't got no cinder blocks. Like, what am I? You know, and I started thinking, like, what 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 do I have on cinder blocks in my life? Like, what do I need to take off of cinder blocks? And you know, and kind of like, what's that leap that I need to take? And I literally came home from that drive, and I came into my apartment, and all of those papers and projects and stuff that were cluttering up my living room, I got rid of them. Hmm. And I said, you know what? I want my apartment to look like a filmmaker lives here. And I said, and again, I, I said, like a like a producer lives here because if I backtrack, so I had a friend, Nigella Moomin, who um, was is a director and asked me to produce her project. And you know, at the time, I was like, no, because I'm a director. I don't produce. I'm a director. Da da da. And um, but you know, she, I was like, you're my girl. I'll help you out however I can. And so in that moment, I threw everything out. I said, I want my office. I want my room to look like a producer lives here. Um, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, going away from this, from this teaching track, even though I love it, I'm going to walk away. I'm going to step out on faith and I'm going to walk away from this for at least for the time being. And I threw all of it out. I threw it out. I gave it back. I threw it out, gave it back. I, I just got rid of it. I got it out of my apartment. And literally within two weeks, I got a job at BET um, and the film that I was working on with Nigela was Jin and the film just started taking off and we started getting all these grants and we started getting all of these like, you know, fellowships and um, you know, we started getting write-ups. We did a Kickstarter campaign. We met our goal and you know, it's kind of, it became a snowball from there and I started getting other producing gigs. And so I became her producer for Jen. I started working for BET in their production department. I got another job for TNT producing one of their shows. And then other people started asking me to produce their films. So it's kind of like it literally just started to snowball. And I got more and more um, producing jobs. And then they started to become paid. And (laughs) I was like, okay. I guess uh, this is what I'm doing now, you know? And so it, it kind of evolved from there, but that that's really how it sort of evolved um, was me starting out as a director and, you know, making some life decisions, um, making some moves, mm. um, 
thinking about, you know, kind of where, where I am and what, um, what was the, what was the trajectory of that I wanted for my career and that, um, what I thought would be my next steps and, um, and just kind of taking some, some bold steps, (laughs) some bold steps from there. I think that is really, I want to make a note about that. We talk a lot about in our Brave Maker community, um, you know, getting off the couch, kind of not sitting around and hoping something's going to happen to you. You need to be proactive. Uh, we talk a lot about language, like sometimes even just saying, like, I'm an aspiring actor or aspiring filmmaker sort of gives you an out in a way. Why don't you say, no, I'm an actor or I'm a filmmaker? What I think is interesting when I hear you just saying, too, um, we can talk about the people that we hang around with, right? Are they lifting us up or are they putting us down but you also made a really conscious effort to do something about your space i haven't really heard someone talk about that that's really interesting makes me think about like yeah. the cultural conversation we have about minimalism Marie Kondo, right clutter but you actually yeah. made a change in your space to reflect the identity of who you are and what you wanted to do i haven't heard yeah. someone talk about that that's really so what would you say to somebody if they were to say like uh, tell me, you know, what you think about my space and how that reflects my perspective or my mentality. What kind of thoughts would you, could you elaborate on that? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's just, you, I think, I think in, in any of our, I think our spaces do reflect where we're going or what we want. Do you know what I mean? It's like, and, and, and our space can also cause distraction. Do you know what I mean? And so, you know, in my case, like I look at, um, you know, yeah, I had all these papers and like, you know, quizzes and tests and homework and all this kind of stuff. And that's what I needed for that space as a professor. Um, but that's not something that benefits me as a, as a producer of projects. So if I'm a producer, what does that look like to be a producer? Then I need to have budgets around. I need to have, you know, books on budgeting and I need to, I also need to just clear the space as well. I, I, I also think that that, you know, you talk about like the whole like minimalism and all of that. Mm-hmm. Cause that was another thing for me too, is that not only do you, it's, it's just like, you got a bunch of stuff around that is it's not helping to clear the mind to think clearly about where I'm trying to go was kind of my thinking. And I, and I, I, that's what I would say to people is like, what is in your space? That's, that's also kind of cluttering your mind and keeping you from kind of walking in that zone of where you're trying to go. And so, like I said, for me, if I'm, if I'm tripping over, you know, DVDs that are, you know, (laughs) you know, student DVDs that I was grading, you know what I'm saying? Like, how does that help me, you know, be boots on the ground producing for this TV show or for this film? Um, it doesn't. Yeah. And so I have to, I, I, I need to, you know, kind of get rid of those things. It's like, if you're a visual person, if, you know, if you're, you know, a writer or like, I, I love walking into, um, you know, my friend Angela, who we both know her, her office. When you walk in, there's like a typewriter and there's like posters, of, you know, it's all these things that are about writing, mm-hmm. you know, and it, and you feel like you're in a writer's space mm-hmm. and, you know, there's, there's not a whole lot of, you know, stuff around, you know, it's like, if I look at my, my place now, 
now is filled with a bunch of other clutter, but it's, but it's produced, it's things from producing. Sure, right. And sure. so it's hard drives and yeah. it's, <laughs> I've got yeah. hard drives from projects like piled up. I've yeah. got, you know, scripts and budgets from projects that I'm working on and I have, you know, papers and, you know, calculators and, <laughs> you know, it's those types of things. Like that's what my space is filled with. So whatever that thing is that you're, you know, aiming toward, I just feel like it needs, it, it should reflect that. Mm-hmm. And, um, if you should reflect those tools, like what, think about what are the tools that you need mm-hmm. for, for your job and for the thing that you're, that you're working toward, like have those tools around you, like surround yourself with those tools. And cool. I think it just helps with the, with inspiration, you know, and it helps with just like helping you feel in that mode and in that creative mode. I love it. That's so good. That's good, good, good wisdom. Uh, so uh, let's talk about gin and working with uh, Nigela. I always, how, how you say her name again? Nigela? Nigela. Because you just, I mean, this podcast will go out within a week or two of your write-up in the New York Times and a re-screening or a re-release in theaters in New York, which is super cool. So tell the Brave Maker yeah. audience about gin uh, and working on that, what the story's all about. Yeah. So, um, Jen is a story about a um, teenage girl whose life changes when her mother converts to Islam. And, um, so the, the writer director is Nigela Mukmin. And, um, as I said before, we became friends, we became good friends, um, you know, years prior to that, um, through a networking event here in LA. And we just started working together. She worked on my web series. Like, you know, we just hit it off we hit it off and, um, at that networking group and, you know, she came up to me and she kind of did to me, like I did to Andrew. She was like, Hey, <laughs> let's hang out. And I was like, okay. Uh, and, uh, you know, she was doing a, a little short and I helped her shoot that. And then I was doing my web series. So she worked on my web series and, um, and we just helped each other out. And then we did a short together. I was her production manager. And after that project, that's when she asked me to produce gin. And so it was a wild ride because, um, I, I, you know, got involved in that project early on and, you know, looked at, you know, one of the first drafts of the script and, uh, or one of the early drafts of the script and we worked on it and then just kind of set out to try to find money for it. And so, you know, we did Sundance labs and film independent labs and, and all these different things and went out there just trying to raise money for the film. And we, like I said, we did the Kickstarter campaign, um, and just really tried to piece together the money to make the film. And it was, it was rough, but, um, you know, we were, we managed to, to, to do it and to get the film made. Um, you know, our, our story with Jen, I feel like was a, um, you know, it's like the indie filmmakers dream that you, you scrape up the money to make the film, mm. um, the film, you know, gets accolades from, you know, Sundance and all this kind of stuff. It premiered at South by Southwest in the narrative competition. We won an award. We won the screenwriting award, the the jury award for screenwriting that year. And then we got distribution for the film from a, from a studio. And so it was just like, Mm -hmm. you know, with such a meager, meager budget, the fact that we were able to, um, you know, to accomplish all those things was, uh, was, was nothing short of a, of a miracle. Um, but it was, it was definitely a learning experience. I, I learned a lot from that process, uh, 
uh, just uh, so many lessons, so many lessons learned that, you know, I try to pass along, you know, I write and things like that about that experience often. So I try to pass the, pass along the, you know, what I learned from that. But yeah, we'll post your dear producer interview in our show notes and put that out on our social media. I think I already did that once, but could you boil down a couple things as producer of this wildly uh, important and meaningful story that was a true independent <laughs> like undertaking? <laughs> what are some things, like some little nuggets of producer <laughs> tips you want to share out? Yeah, well, one thing that comes right off the top of my head is... Um, you know, like I said, our film was, um, you know, it was every indie filmmaker I know has that dream of like, we're going to make this movie by any means necessary. And we're going to hope and pray that this goes big and that we get distribution. And one of, one of my biggest takeaways and things I would say as a producer to, to other filmmakers is be careful of that strategy because a lot of times what we do as indie filmmakers is we um, spend everything that we have and we put everything on the screen, which we should do. But this day and age, distributors are just not putting a lot of money into release and marketing films. And so, you know, we just, we didn't have the, um, the knowledge at the time uh, or, or the resources at the time to put into marketing ourselves. And then, so we were kind of at the mercy of our distributor and, you know, I don't think we got nearly the, the, you know, um, marketing or recognition that, that we wanted to get in terms of actually getting people to come to the theater to see the film. Um, and so I would say that that's one of my big takeaways is to, is as filmmakers, we really have to think about the, the whole picture from beginning to end of the movies that we make. You know, like I said, a lot of times, especially as indies, like we were just like, I just got to get them film made. But it's like, let's not sell our films short that way and only think until it's made. Mm-hmm. Put some money aside for marketing um, and for distribution, um, even if it's just a little something, put something away, yeah. tuck it away, um, so that you can market your film. And also, just you know, think about because all of us that are indie films, like we're hustling and we're grinding and we're like calling on favors and that kind of thing. Build that stuff into strategy before you shoot. You know, have you know, think who can I who can I be reaching out to on the back end of this when this film is done? Who are the partnerships that I can who are people I can partner with that when this film is done, I can go back to those partnerships and I can, you know, call on those people to help us spread the word about the film and or who can help us exhibit the film or whatever. Um and then those people become resources on the on the back end when it's time to distribute the film, um, and we had a lot of that. And those people those people did, um, you know, in terms of those people and resources that we, you know, friends that we had made along the way, were definitely there for that. But those dollars, like having money to back that up, um, goes a long way. Um, so that <clears throat> that's one thing I would say right off the bat. Um, it's just really thinking about, and you know, it's even like, you know, I'm working on a project now that just wrapped and, um, it's, you know, this kept, this is like, we just got to get it done. We just got to get it done. Yeah, we got to get it done. But, you know, if our goal is for this film festival or if our goal is for this distributor, we also, we have to keep in mind, 
you know, certain standards of quality um, that would be, you know, conducive for that festival. We still have to think about money. Like we don't, don't, we can't spend every single dime that we have. Like we have to save something. We have to have some type of contingency, some type of, you know, pot for our, you know, not just for our posts, but also for our marketing, for marketing the film. Like, but you, you always got to think, have the end game in mind. Yeah. I guess is how, how I sum that up. April, would you, what was, what would you do differently knowing what you know now with gin, what would be different? Would you self-distribute? Would you do something different in that way? Yeah, I think, um, in retrospect, I, I do wonder, um, you know, would it have been different if we, if we self-distributed? I mean, really, I mean, there are certain things that having a, having a distributor, um, there, there are some advantages to that and things that if we were to self-distribute, we wouldn't have had. So I'm grateful for those things. I do just, I, I think I wish that, um, I don't know, like that's a, that's kind of a long conversation, um, of what we would do differently. Um, I, I think I would probably take a, um, a harder look at, um, the distributors that are kind of presenting themselves and, I think now I have a better sense of kind of what distribution is and kind of what, what is standard, like uh-huh. what comes with that. Cause you get excited, you know, it's like you get your first sure. offer and you're just like, ah! um, especially when it's from like a, you know, a major company, you're just yeah. like, Oh wow, this is going to be great. And so I think now I just have a better understanding of what to look for in contracts. Um, and I think the other big thing is, is just, um, putting some money, putting our own money aside. I mean, even especially for first time directors or, you know, for first time, first time filmmakers, um, don't count on like, we're going to get this major distributor and they're going to, they're going to do everything because they're not, um, you, you have to have something of your own to market, the film. Mm-hmm. So I would definitely do that differently. Even, even if we had have gone with the same distributor, I wish that we had more of our own money to put in to market the film. But I, but I think I also just would have been a little bit more discerning in, in signing on the dotted line mm-hmm. uh, with a particular distributor. Yeah. So really have some knowledge around contracts and terms and language and make sure you know kind of what you're signing your life away to your film away to. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. And it's exactly that. Like you're, you're literally, you know, this, and here's, you have to think about it in terms of you have, you know, whether you wrote the script or, you know, you directed, you've spent years, most, more than likely, you know, most of us who are in indie film, we've spent years dreaming about this project, writing this project, creating the project, coming up, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. you spent years on it. And a distributor is someone who comes in at the last minute and thinks that they know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of times they don't. And, you know, put yourself in a position where, you know, you can take all of that hard work that you've put into the film and give yourself some leverage. Um, Cause you really are, you're, 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 this, this is the baby you're giving away the baby to yep. someone yep. and you have to think about it or look at it that way. You know, um, 
because more than likely you're probably not going to make a ton of money off of it, but you at least want to, you want it to be in good hands. Mm. And so take care in doing your research on who you're turning that baby over to. That's good. Yeah. The people that we work with are one of the biggest determinants of the success. However, we define that right of our film. And that's why you see people Mm -hmm. choosing to work with some of the same people when it works, like, you know, Keep yeah. going, yeah. keep doing that. That's great. Uh, what's, Definitely. What's one of the uh, so uh, the next projects you're working on? Can you talk about anything you got in the works, or you just wrapped, or things we should be on the the lookout for? Yeah. So most immediately, um, I have a project called Hosea that's coming out um, probably next year. So it's probably like early next year that film will be coming out, um, and it, it's a project that's uh loosely based on the um the book of hosea um so that's going to be coming out soon um so i'm excited about that are you guys and waiting on festivals have, is it kind of a festival hope hope to get um, into no we're we're actually speaking of you know we're talking about like what i learned from jen um we're actually we are kind of going a more of a non-traditional route okay with this film and so we're not we're not really going the festival route. We're oh, just looking okay. for um, we're looking for partners and um, places to screen the film, kind of in more um, I guess grassroots, intimate type of settings um, with people that would connect with the story and are looking to have conversations around some of the issues that the story bring, brings up. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're looking to to do more more of that type of model. Um, and, and, you know, and like I said, you know, just lessons learned. I've, I've been a lot more careful about what are we getting into? What contracts are we signing? You know, who are we teaming with? Um, we're just a lot more careful, um, about, you know, who we're putting it in the hands of. And also just in terms of like how we want to release the film. So yeah, we're going a little bit of a non-traditional route with that film, um, but, you know, I'll be in touch with Brave Maker and hopefully sure, Brave awesome. Maker will be a support of that. But, yeah. um, you know, so hopefully people will hear more about that film cool. um, at the top of the top of the new year. So um, I'm working on that film. We're, we're, like I said, we're getting that film ready for its release. And then um, so the project I just wrapped uh, is a project called African America. Um, uh, it's a story about a South African woman who becomes disillusioned with her life in Johannesburg and gives up everything in Johannesburg to leave her country and move to New York to pursue her dream of becoming a Broadway star. Cool. Um, but she comes to America and realizes that <laughs> the grass is only green <laughs> where you water it. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, actor's uh-huh. life is hard. Um, you know, living in the United States, especially as an immigrant yeah. is hard to, um, so the grass is not always greener on the other side. Um, so that film just wrapped actually, um, awesome. this weekend, this past weekend. Um, but and that one is, is probably going the more traditional route. So we're hoping to get into some film festivals with that one and, um, see what happens with it. Travel the world. Uh, <laughs> saw, I saw some of your behind the scenes photos. It looks really great. <laughs> it was fun to watch yeah. you, you do it and be in New York and stuff. So that's great. Yeah, I can't wait to hear more and see that film. That's awesome. Congrats. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. 
So yeah, you, so it's a lot of fun. So you're doing a lot of stuff uh, as we wrap up the conversation. We like to talk about how do you handle all of the hustle, all the rejection, all of the constant grind that it takes to be a brave maker, to be, <laughs> to be out there doing your thing. How do you take care of yourself? What tips do you have? What are you learning? Anything you want to share here? Man. <laughs> Man. It's rough. I will tell you, it's a journey and it's rough. And I will say, you know, things have really, I'm very thankful. I'm very grateful. Things have taken off for me in a way that I did not expect, but it's a grind and it's, um, it's tough. I would, my, I would recommend, um, therapy. Mm -hmm. I would recommend, you know, or some type of self care, you know, like whether it's it's therapy for some people, um, it's, uh, you know, I have a great small group that I'm involved in that, um, you know, just, just even having people, a group of people that we can just come and share and do life with has been invaluable. Um, Honestly, for me, the, those are kind of the two main things that that uh, attempt to keep me <laughs> yeah. that attempt to keep me grounded. Um, it's it's rough. Yeah. It's rough. It's very demanding, and you know, it's so funny. Like I, I always joke with people that, like, oh yeah, I was a I was a professor, and I left. Um, <laughs> I left being a professor. Uh, what, what, how do I usually say? I usually say like, yeah, it was too unstable being an adjunct professor. So I, you know, I wanted something more stable. So I left and became a producer. (laughs) 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 Like that's like, it's the most, you know, it's like freelance life all over again. And it's, it's it's just, it's very stressful and, um, unpredictable and, um, you know, it's like I said, it's, I think it's just really important to find balance. I I'm trying to get, I'm really trying to get better at, um, establishing boundaries. Uh, That's one thing I will say, you know, as a tip, establish boundaries, you know, set work hours. It's really easy as a freelancer, especially if you don't have an office to like work all the time. And that's the rut I was falling into until I finally was just like, I got to find an office space. Like I got to get out of this house and I need to work you know, certain hours. I need to not work on the weekends unless I absolutely have to. Um, just guard yourself, guard your time. Like, you know, as independents, as freelancers, we just, it's like we work, work, cause, cause we know that if we don't work, we don't eat. So, so it's a, it's, yep. it's a catch 22. So right. it's like, if I don't put in this work over the weekend, I don't know what's going to happen come Monday. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, but you have to carve out that time for yourself. It's a good, that's so good. And so practical because as we were talking about earlier, how important our space is to be creative. Well, if that same space sort of leaks out into like your bedroom and everywhere you go, it's like there's work that's everywhere. Good. You need some private spaces some personal time. That's really, really good. Cool. Definitely. Uh, how would you define what it means to be a brave, a brave maker? Ooh. To me, a brave maker means living. It means taking risks. Mm. But ultimately, to me, it means following your heart. 
it means going with your gut and going, going, going with your conviction. I, I believe that as artists, like there's something in our soul that convicts us and keeps us getting out of bed. And we, we operate, we work according to a certain ethos in terms of the type of, you know, you know, in my case, it's movies, whether it's movies or art, whatever type of art it is. Like we, we have a, a bent, you know, and we have a voice. And I think being a brave maker means staying true to that strength, staying true to that voice, staying true to that bent, staying true to that path of where we're trying to go as an artist and not deviating from that. I think that's very brave. Thank you. That's good. I mean, you're simplifying, like, sometimes the bravest thing you could do is be you. Tell your story. Like, don't deviate from what you feel you're supposed to do and who you're supposed it's to be. It's so true. That's good. Yeah. Because so it. many times, it's like, we just like, oh, well, the, you know, especially like in LA, in Hollywood, it's like, oh, well, this this studio wants this. Let me do this and change it. Sure. It's like, no, 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 no. That's not, that's not what I'm trying to do. Sure. Like, let me stay focused on what I'm trying to do and what what is in my heart and what I'm convicted about. That's good. And stay on that path. Great. That's a break. Awesome. Thank you. All right. We got a new segment we're doing a one minute movie reviews. Could be a TV review too. You got a one minute movie review, something somebody should see and why. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Only one. You could do one one minute. You could do more than one, but just a one minute movie review. Okay. A A movie that everybody should see is, uh, uh, now I'm forgetting the name. Loose. Oh, okay. Oh my God. Uh, that movie was so good. Why? If you want to talk about a movie that, um, that nuances converse, the conversation about race. Good. Okay. That movie does that. I think that this movie is, the acting is so well done. Shout out to Kelvin Harrison, who was also in Jen, who plays one of the leads in Loose. He does an amazing, amazing job. Huh. Um, but also the direction in this movie is just, if you want to, if you want to see a movie that's just about like craft of nuance mm. and specificity go see loose it's such a movie and it's a movie that makes you think like it makes you it's it's not a movie that wraps things up at the end it's one of them that you you at the end you're like and then you want to talk about it with people okay and um so that's a movie i recommend uh well, okay, so there's a TV show. I don't know if I should recommend this because I don't know if it's for everybody. It's okay. <laughs> it's going to be for somebody. But there's a show on HBO that I just started watching called The Righteous Gemstones. Oh, that looks oh, so good. It's <laughs> so funny and satirical, right? It's very satirical. Can I just tell you, with the, I, it had me in the first five minutes because if you if you know anything about like mega church culture, uh-huh. it nails it i'm like somebody on this writing team either grew up in a mega church or they did some serious research because they have it i yeah they have it like uh, i can't wait to watch <laughs> it i cannot wait down to a t um but it's very satirical and you know it's it's it can be a bit much for some people so you know just a word of caution gotcha. um but i i think it's um an interesting show so 
Okay, cool. So we got loose I'm- and we got the righteous gemstones. Thank you for those one minute reviews. And final question <laughs> or final thing is that you get, now you get to give a, a brave maker speech. So who do you want to thank? Who, if you had those 30 seconds, once you say who has been super instrumental in you, who you, being who you are? Oh, that's hard. Okay. <laughs> y'all going to cue the music on me like they do <laughs> I'm going to put the music in the, in the post-production. <laughs> All right. Wrap it up, April. <laughs> Okay, who would I thank? Okay, so first I gotta thank, first I gotta, you know, yeah, I gotta thank God. Because uh, without him, it would not be possible. I gotta thank my mom and dad. <laughs> I gotta thank my mom and dad because they've uh, stuck with me. My mom and dad, my Aunt Bessie, because um, they've stuck with me through some hard times, through some rough times, and they saw me through. My sister Shari, because she's always a confidant whenever times get rough and and I just need a shoulder to cry on. And my sister, my whole family, basically, my sister Rosalind as well. Um, my And so to Nigela, because if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be producing. Um, my friend, my, I just got to give a shout out to my, to my girls, Angela, Monet, um, just for always being, being there, for um, being a listening ear. Everybody in my small group, I these are all people that keep me sane you know what I'm saying so like even beyond just like making the movie or doing the thing it's like my small group are like they hold me up and they they like keep it real you know um I would say that I you know what those are those are the, those are the core people that I was my friend Kalila my best friend Kalila who you know she lives in dc right now but i can call her anytime anytime and talk about anything no matter like i'm i mean i've i've hit some low points where she's the only one that knows those dark hours um you know what happened in those dark hours and so i'm very grateful for her if it wasn't for her i wouldn't be here um I've been really fortunate to have just a really good and supportive family and friends that if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be where I am right now. Awesome. So. All right. Thanks to the friends and the family and the small group and Kalia. Everyone needs a few, a good group of people like that in their lives. You're lucky. That's great. Yeah. All right, April, <laughs> where can people find you? Shout out all your social medias, websites, whatever you want to put out there. As you speak is everything. A-Z-U-S-P-E-A-K. That's my Facebook. That's my Twitter. That's my Instagram. That's my Skype. <laughs> everything, <laughs> everything is As You Speak. As You Speak Productions. That's my website, asyouspeak.com. Everything, if you ever want to find me, is As You Speak. Awesome. We'll put that out on all our socials and in our show notes. Thank you so much. This was so good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So we'll, uh, we'll close the podcast now. We won't any more record, but I want to talk to you a few more minutes off the podcast. Okay. Okay, cool. and, And cut. Brave stories change the world. You are the story. Brave Maker is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Our work is funded by generous patrons like you. Support the podcast with a tax-deductible donation at bravemaker.com.
Thanks for listening to the Brave Maker podcast. Subscribe, give us a rating and share with a friend. 